0: I draw your attention this morning to verse 19. And he smote the men of Beshemish because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000 and three score and ten men. And the people lamented, because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. My focus this morning is this looking business. It says there they had looked into the ark, or they saw into the ark. They perished for looking. There are thousands dead. It was a great slaughter, the text says. Greater even than the Philistines wrought in Israel at the Battle of Aphek. It was thousands, but not as many as this. Greater even than the Lord's hand wrought on the Philistines whenever he smote them with the tumours and with the mice. In fact, we're not even sure that any died in Philistia. It certainly doesn't mention great numbers. But here's a vast Slaughter. And it's the greatest slaughter of all that we have met. And it's a slaughter of the people of God, of the Hebrews, that sinned at Beth Shemesh. What was their sin? And why were they slaughtered? Well, the text says, For looking, they saw. They were slaughtered. So that's serious looking, isn't it? Serious seeing. And there's no doubt about the cause and effect. Because what does the text say? He smote the men because they saw into the ark. So there's no question about why. This verse is very interesting Because there are five verbs in it. There are three verbs in relation to God, what God does, and it's the same verb the Lord smote. He smote them three times. It emphasizes that the Lord did it. And then two of the verbs are in relation to Israel. They looked. And they lamented. Looked and lamented. Because. The, the Lord smote them. So we have here. A look that led to lamentation. It's clear here. That there's some great irreverence. That has been committed by them. Because the text says. They looked into the ark. Judge for a look. Be careful what you look at. Congregation. We have to be careful what we see. What we glance at. What we pry into. Now of course the Bible says a lot about looking, doesn't it? This verb is very common, seeing and saw. Looking. Beholding. A look can save and bless. Or a look can damn and it depends what you look at and it depends how you look at it. Do you know that you can study the book of Genesis in terms of this verb? It opens the whole book out. It even reveals unto us the gospel. Do you know who was the first one who ever looked? It was God. He just started to make a world. God saw. God looked. God saw the light. He just called it into existence. One of the first things. He he called the light into existence. God saw the light. And it was good. You can follow that verb the whole way down in creation. God saw this. God saw that. God looked at this. God looked at the other. It was good. And then at the end of creation. He looked at all of creation. And he saw. That it was very good. So God is the first one who did all the looking. But then you remember whenever man began looking. The woman saw. She looked at the tree. She saw the tree that was forbidden. She saw that it was good for food. That it was pleasant to the eyes. It was wonderful to her looking. And she desired it. And she took and gave to her husband. You know what happened. And then we read that the sons of God, they saw the daughters of men. And that just got worse and worse. And then God, he looked on the earth again and he saw that it was corrupt and he destroyed it. And then he made a bow in the heaven and he looked at it. And he put it there for men to look at so that they'll see his covenant promise and know the gospel and be saved. It's all there in this verb looking the bow in the cloud, and I look upon it, and I remember, and you look upon it too. And then you remember Lot's wife? God had warned Lot and his family, don't be looking back. And Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. We read this morning, no man looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. There are lookings that are good, and there are sayings that are wrong. Destructive. Remember Achan? He no doubt will come to your mind. I saw, I looked, same verb, I looked among the spoils, a goodly Babylonish garment. And we know the story. The folly of looking. And then the Bible tells us about looking to idols, looking to the gods of the nations, copying them. The folly of that looking. The danger of idolatry. The danger of looking to gods that are made with men's hands. And then the danger of looking to familiar spirits and diviners and witches. Looking to the false. Looking to pry into these things through wrong means. The Bible says a lot about all of this. But what we have here is none of this. What we have here is looking at God's ark in a way that displeased God. It's a good thing, the ark of the Lord. Eli trembled for it. That was a good thing. Eli's daughter-in-law went into labor for it and died because of it. Such was her love for the glory of God. But these unholy people, they look at it in a way that angers God. Now, we have to distinguish here what this looking is. Because you'll remember that whenever the ark first appeared, here it's coming in the the new cart. They're in the field. They lifted up their eyes and they saw, and they rejoiced to see it. That was good. That was fine. They weren't destroyed for that. But now they lament because there's a different kind of looking now, a different kind of seeing. As to the looking in our text and its serious consequences, you have to remember that in the Old Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant is not just a box. It's not just a chest to carry things. It's a symbol of God's presence. It's His throne. The cherubim on the seat at either side, God dwelling between the cherubim, as the Bible says. The Ark of the Covenant pictures God's holy throne. It's Israel's most sacred object. Yes, it's material. It's a worldly object, as Paul says, a worldly tabernacle, worldly sanctuary. The furniture is worldly. It's all temporary until Christ comes. But in the Old Covenant, it has high symbolic significance. It is an image of the true and spiritual in the Old Covenant. The Lord dwelleth between the cherubim and he has to be treated accordingly. So outside the most holy place and in all the journeys of the ark of the Lord it had to be covered. It had to be under a covering. You couldn't see it. Even the Levites couldn't see it. The priests, they covered it. The Levites carried it but they couldn't see it. It was all under the veil and under the covering and it was invisible to the eye. And the Bible was very clear about that. When the camp set us forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, they'll take down the covering veil, they'll cover the ark with it, they'll put over the covering badger skins, they'll spread it over it, and the Levites will carry it with the staves. And so they couldn't see any of the furniture, and the reason was lest they die. The Bible says that. Thus shall you do that they may live and not die, When they approach onto the most holy things, they shall not go in to see the holy furniture, but they shall be covered. All the holy things are to be covered, lest they die. So it's in the Word of God, it's clear. Not to be seen. Now we're not sure how the ark arrived. Probably uncovered, though we're not sure about that. In which case, they ought to have quickly. By their heads, and seen that it was covered while they handle it and deal with it. We're not sure what has happened. If covered, and it may be that the Philistines realized that it had to be covered, and they did keep it covered, then the coverings have been removed. And they're looking directly at the furniture. It's uncovered, there's no question about that. And that is unbiblical, that was wrong under the old covenant. This is a great irreverence. There's no fear of God here. There's no bowing before him. There's no appreciation of his holiness, of his sovereignty, of his majesty. And what is more, it's not just a case of looking at it uncovered and burr. It seems that they looked into it. Into it. Which requires the lifting of the seat. Which is the throne of God. The removing of the seat. And God thereupon. On holy hands. Lifting lifting the seat. Lifting the glory of God. Uncovering it. And looking in directly. Without anything between. At the law of God. And it's dreadful. The lid is handled. God practically dethroned. So that the chest may be looked into. We can hardly believe that the Hebrews would do this. But that seems to be what is implied in the text. That that hadn't been done for 400 years. Nobody dared lift that. When Moses put the law in it. Perhaps he put the pot of man in it. Maybe Aaron drawed the might Maybe went into it as well. But after Moses there was nobody lifted that lid. Four hundred years later, Beth Shemesh and all these characters just lift it up and look in. Not even Hophni and Phinehas did that, and they committed sacrilege, and they died for that. But here are these farmers, and all the multitudes of Israel who are coming up to see all of these people. Clearly, there's no fear of God here before their eyes. There's nobody trembling for the ark now. They're all looking into it. They all ignored God's word. God's warnings. You can't ignore God's warnings. You can't look at that which God forbids you to look at. You know, in God's worship, all the things of God we must treat with great reverence and God-fearing. The Bible says God is greatly to be feared. In the assembly of the saints. This is what this is a Bethlehem. It's an assembly. It's a growing assembly. They're coming from all over. God is in the midst of them. This great assembly. He's clearly to be feared in the midst of the assembly. To be had in reverence. Of all of them that are round about him. But that's not evident here. Whenever we are about God congregation. Whenever we are about him in his house. About him in his word. we, We have to have great reverence. And not be doing the mundane. And thinking of the mundane and the worldly. But he's to be feared. He's to be reverenced. He's to be looked to with carefulness. And with faith. And with the buying of our hearts. And true humility. Greatly. To be feared. The text says. And had in reverence. Of all. There are no exceptions. Every one. Who dare assemble in the presence of God. Of all that are about him. Clearly these people of Beshomish. Didn't do that. Or they would have lived. Just think of those cherubim. On the mercy seat. That surround the throne. God dwelleth between the cherubim. We get a picture there. Of what is going on. In Isaiah chapter 6. Because you remember. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. On his throne. And he is reigning. Sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up. His glory fills the temple. And the seraphim. Are round about him. They have six wings. You know what the wings are for? For covering. They they cover themselves. They cover their eyes. They cover their feet. Even the holy seraphim. Who never sinned. Who are around the throne of God in close proximity, they have the covering, they have the veil. And here on earth the people of Beshamish uncovered, take away the very lid. No reverence, no no veiling, no bowing the head, no closing the eyes. You know, in the synagogues in the ancient times, whenever they had talked about the Shekinah glory and praying for it to come, they would bow their heads and close their eyes. Because they knew that no one can see this of glory. You can't see it and live. So that's the right response: humility and fear, confession, repentance. As Isaiah said, "Oh woe is me! I'm undone." He's bowed his head. He's covered his heart in humility and repentance, and the Lord has let him live. So, not in our reverent praying and gawking at the things of God. But handling sacred things reverently is what we ought to do. So this teaches us, congregation, to obey God, to be conscious of his presence and how to behave in his presence. Now this is obviously a public violation, a congregational violation, done in the open. In the church, in the congregation worship, we, we dare not go outside God worship. You know, you can't just bring in foreign things, whatever you think, we notions you get into your head to introduce them into God's worship. You, you just can't do that. We can violate the word of God by such things. There's danger. bringing in foreign, irreverent things. Oh, it works in the world. It has success in the world. Well, what about it? Church worship isn't about success and what works in the world. It's about worshipping God. It's about reverence. It's about obeying his word. Not pleasing the world. Making it a a world-friendly church for the world. That's not what it's about. It's about the fear of God. So they're doing this publicly. Now if they're doing this publicly, what are they doing privately? Privately. If they have the audacity to do this in the public place, this irreverence, what is it that they're doing in their homes? What is it that they're doing behind closed doors? What is it that's in private taking place? It's probably a lot worse. So when God judges these people, it's not just for the public violation. This is just a climax of wickedness and no fear of God. So these sinners are judged not that this is our only sin, but it's the sin that lets us see their judgment is just. So we need to learn this morning that we cannot pry into the things of God. You know, the Bible's so up to date, it's always relevant. God is to be trusted, believed, not prayed into, not searched into. Well, look into God. Like he's some sort of laboratory specimen. Well, look into God. That's what they want to see, you see. They want to see God. They want to look in and see God. You can't look into God. We're just to believe him, to trust him, to love him, to fear him, to obey him. There's none can look into God. Not to try and explain him. To question him. You know there are people who try to reconcile absolute sovereignty. With human responsibility. And they pry into God. And they come to a situation where they deny his sovereignty. They can't fathom it. They can't accept it. They can't just believe that he's the king on the throne. No they have to pry into it. And somehow reconcile it with Freedom and liberty and the goodness of God and all of this. And so they pray, they pray, they pray. They look into God. They bring him into the laboratory. They put him under a microscope to justify him. We don't have to justify God. We just have to believe him. We just have to fear him and reverence him. That's, That's what we have to do. Not deny things about him or say other things that kind of make a God that is acceptable in the eyes of the world that's not our job to do so by looking into God we're in danger of making him like ourselves you know we can become very intellectual and define God now theology is a great subject but it's also a dangerous subject because it can become all intellectual and there is not the fear and the faith and the reverence. And it doesn't transform. We can have a full head, but not an understanding heart, not a humble heart. A full head is not our main requirement, congregation. Our main requirement is a humble heart. We're just to believe the Bible. We're just to trust the word of God. We're just to believe the way that the Lord is revealed to us therein and what it says. You remember Moses on his first encounter with God? The angel of the Lord in the the bush and the fire and the bush not being consumed because it's been upheld by the divine presence. The glory. The glory that didn't burn the bush. It's a picture of the incarnate Christ. Moses, he goes up and he says, I'll go and see this, I'll look into this, I'll explore this, this is different. And God says to Moses, stop, take your shoes off, this is holy ground. He wasn't allowed to look into it. He wasn't allowed to pray, he wasn't allowed to go up the branches and have a wee poke and see, why are these not burning, what's happening here? He wasn't allowed to pray, he was halted. And he just heard the word of God. And he had to believe and obey, that's all. You can't look into God. Don't draw any more closer than Moses. Stop right there, get your shoes off. This is holy ground. Be reverent about me. Well, there's none of that here. They're looking into the ark. There's no keeping their distance. There's no bowing their head. There's no veiling their eyes. They're not obeying the word. They're not believing the word. They're just having a poke and a pray and a gawk. We cannot pry into God. You can only look into his word. To know him. You can only hear his word to know him. Or you can look into the face of Christ. In the mirror of the word. To know him. That's the only way. You look into the Bible all you want. And you should look. The secret things belong unto the Lord. They're not to be looked into. But. There are things that are given to us, things that are revealed unto us, things that are revealed to our children. We can look into those and we ought to do so. The Bible says, thou canst not see my face and live. You can't gawk on me. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son declares him unto us. He dwells in light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen Nor can see. God is beyond our scrutiny. He's beyond our highest and best vision. You can't look into God. You can't put him under a microscope. We are only to look into sacred things through the telescope. And that's really what it is. It's just a telescope. The telescope of God's word. We get a wide sweep. God never goes under the microscope. Don't ever put him under a microscope. Just believe in him. So we must be careful about our glances. And we're not to look for God in material objects, as some people foolishly do, in material images and objects of cultic worship. We must be careful about all of that. Our glances and our stirs are not to be to Hades and images. Well, it's dangerous to look beyond what God says that we can look at. And there are some, as I said, they seek knowledge from necromancers and divination, spirits. Such knowledge is available. I know there are multitudes of, of fakes and, and hoaxes. But there is a spirit world and knowledge is available. But it's wrong to look at that way. To pray into that. Don't regard them that have familiar spirits. Spirits, don't seek after wizards. Tell the children of Israel this. You know, there was an article in the paper about satanic worship, Satanism. It was dreadful. I couldn't even read it. I didn't even want to read it. It was disturbing. We're not even to look at what they we do. We're not even to show an interest. It's contaminating. So only look to the Lord in his word. It's interesting that the Lord give his people fringes. I'm not talking about your hair. <laughs> I'm talking about the fringes on the borders of your garments and on the skirts. He gave them fringes to tie things to the word of God and to tie ribbons of blue on the fringes so that they would see the fringes and look at the fringes And then that's to remind them of all the commandments of God and of the word of God. You should just remember the word of God. And so when they put their hand out to do something, they see the fringe and remember the word of God. And whenever they're working along in their skirts, and they're maybe going the wrong direction, but the skirts of their garments are showing the blue and remember the word of God. And their fringes should have been telling them as they're going to lift the ark, the mercy seat, lift the lid, the fringes should have been telling them, just look into the word. Just obey the word. And so God gives us the fringes to look at so that we not look at that which is soul destroying. So let us go about this holy looking into things in God's appointed way. Because there is a place to look, you know. And there is a way to look. We can look into the gospel. you remember Peter said about the prophets? It was revealed unto them. The things that they minister. they're ministering to us. They preach the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Which things the angels desire to look into. Not, not even the angels, pray unto God. They look through the revelation of God. Even the angels study the gospel. They look into the gospel. Why would they want to do that when they're in the very presence of God? Because they're covered in the presence of God. They see Him in His revelation, in the creation. Because God is invisible, you know. They especially see Him in the gospel. And you see, when Christ ascended, And he appeared in the presence of them all. They saw something new then. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The very image of God. We can look at that in the gospel. And we can look into ourselves. Yes, into our hearts. Into our lives. You remember how the apostle says, look to yourselves. And we can look to Christ, the incarnate God, the ascended God. As Paul says, looking on to Jesus. The author and finisher of faith. We can look at God's mercy. Looking for the mercy of God, the Bible says. We can look for the new heavens and the new earth. Looking for the new heavens and the new earth. We can look for the Lord's return. There are things that we can look into with all our hearts. But we can't look into God. The Bible is our safe hedge, brethren and sisters. It keeps us looking in right ways and right places. So look, look into it alone to thank God. Don't look beyond it or what is forbidden by it. God says, look on to me. That's different. Looking on to me is not looking into me. He pulls out his arms. He stretches them to the nations. He says look on to me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God. There is none else. That is as far as we get. To look on to him. But we can't look into him. We dare not. We just see him as he is revealed in the Bible. The safe revelation that our puny understanding. with sin is able to take in. Beyond that we cannot pray. And all that we look must be with reverent hearts. So that in all our looking our heads are bowed. As it is before the word of God. And as it is in prayer. When we look to God in prayer. Our heads are bowed. Usually our eyes are closed too because we look by faith with the word of God. So look into the book. Look into the scriptures and see God therein revealed and believe in him and love him and trust him and seek him and pray to him and to him who dwells in light that cannot be approached unto be eternal glory through Christ. Amen.